Appreciate that. Good morning, everyone. You all all right? Good. It's good to see you. We missed you. Missed you last week. I heard that uh, I heard you had an amazing week, if slight, slightly PG-13. Yeah, if you know, you know. If you don't, then maybe you'll want to go back and watch the message, or maybe not. But our friend Chris was here, and Chris is an amazing man, dear friend, and you never know exactly what he's going to say. Um, but it's good to be back with you all. Uh, just to clarify one thing Mike said about All In Night, it's not just pizza, it's Laventina's pizza. All right, guys, see, because you weren't sure if you were all in until now. And now you're feeling it, aren't you? Okay. All right, hey, would you pray with me as we dive in today? Holy Spirit, um, we don't want anything less than you. Like nothing, we don't want to settle today for anything that we can pull off with planning or talent or study or practice. We don't want to just walk in here and as much as we love each other, just have a good time with some friends, sing some good songs, eat some good food. All these things are great, but but just need you to show up and do what only you can do. God, I pray that we would walk away from this space today having undeniably been in your presence, like in a way that no one here, regardless of how they come in, can miss. In a way that no person here, myself included, can leave the same. Would you be so near to us today? Amen. Friends, we're in this series, uh, we're calling it our vision series, which is uh, not to announce new stuff. It's not about kind of the next hill we're going to take together. That's not what the point is. The point here is uh, that we have a simple vision at this church that's always going to be the vision of this church, and we're just going to talk about it until everybody's tired of it. Does that sound okay? Because yeah. we're discovering that when you get tired of a vision, that means you know it. <laughs> that means it's in you. And if we don't talk about it enough, that everyone gets tired of hearing it, then the chances are there are going to be people that come to our church that don't know. And the truth of the matter is, I am not this church, and Mike is not this church, and Kiana, none of our staff is this church. You are the church. And if you don't know what's going on, then how are people coming in going to know what's going on? And so it's really important that we talk about this stuff, that we know who we are as a community and what God has called us to do. Because each church, I believe this, we see in the book of Revelation that there are seven letters written to churches. This is off the cuff. Sorry, forgive me. We're just going to roll with it, though. There are seven letters written to churches in the book of Revelation. And the Holy Spirit talks about a lampstand that each of the churches has. And I believe that the Holy Spirit gives a local church a unique lampstand that he's given each of them to carry uniquely in their context with their people, with their neighborhood, with their talents and abilities. And he says, I want you to hold this. This is the reason for which I've created you. And we all have to know that. We all have to own it because the truth is I can't pull it off. And Mike can't and Kiana can't and none of our staff can. And the truth is we need every person to hold this lampstand well. And the lampstand the Holy Spirit has given this community is he wants us to be a church of people 
Jesus followers, a family of Jesus followers, learning to live free. What that means is learning to live in actuality, in the real world, in our right now, here and now bodies, the life that Jesus embodied himself. The life that he came to give. When he said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, he didn't just mean someday up in the clouds. When he said, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full, he didn't just mean someday. He meant now that we can live into the new life that he demonstrated on earth and that he secured for us by his death and resurrection. We can live into it now. And that's what we want to learn how to do. A lot of people don't know this, but the framing um, uh, paradigm kind of setting passage for our, our church is actually not out of the New Testament. It's out of the book of Exodus. Some of you might not know, but the name Canopy, um, it's got a bunch of different origin stories, but I, the, I get to pick the one that I like the best because I've got the mic right now. The origin story that I like the best comes out of the book of Exodus, where we see a group of people moving through the wilderness under the presence of God, but in these tabernacles, these Sukkot, these tents, or these canopies that they lived in as they kind of moved through the wilderness, this sort of semi-nomadic people. Um, And in the book of Exodus, what we see is what I was just talking about. We see a group of people who had been set free in a dramatic way. I mean, the plagues and the delivery from Egypt and all of this sort of stuff in the most dramatic of ways possible. They have been set free and then loosed into the wilderness where they wander for 40 years before they're able to get into the promised land. And what were those 40 years about? It was learning to live as the free people of God that he had already made them to be. Does that make sense? They had 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 400 years of learning a certain kind of a system, a system that was oppressive and dehumanizing and soul-crushing and dark and dismal. You can't just step out of something like that into the promised land. You have to have a period of time where you unlearn the habits of the empire, unlearn the habits of slavery in Egypt, so that when you step into the promised land, you come in ready. That's the paradigm for this church. We are a wilderness people. We are semi-nomads here. Peter says we're exiles on this earth. And what we're doing here is living into a rescue that's already been accomplished. Jesus has rescued us. He has delivered us. We are as free and as secure as we will ever be. Now it's time to learn how to act like it and live like it on a daily basis. And that's what we're trying to do here. And we say we're a family doing that together. You can't do that on your own. Just going to be really, really straightforward on this one. I talked about this a few weeks ago, so I won't rehash it. You cannot live in freedom on your own. If you find yourself alone... (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. The words that are coming to me sound harsh right now. Forgive me, but you're doing it wrong. That's the words that's coming to my head right now. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches, right? And he says, remain in me, stay connected to me. And if you find yourself apart from all the other branches, it probably means you're not connected to the vine either. Does that make sense? We can't do this alone. We have to do it in family. Last uh, two weeks ago, Kiana talked about how um, our definition of freedom then, as this kind of family of Jesus followers learning to live free, our definition of freedom begins with understanding that we're actually not free to do whatever we want. They were subject to a king. And that freedom comes from finding ourselves within his kingdom, not doing whatever we want, whenever we want, not pursuing our own identities or self-actualization, but pursuing his dreams for our life. Let's get that, right? 
His dreams are better than yours. Do you believe that? His dreams are better than yours. And we find freedom when we pursue that. Today we're going to talk about the second C, the second part of our definition of freedom, which is we're free when we find ourselves covered by the presence of God. I set up all that Exodus stuff to say that's where we're going to be today in Exodus 33. Because this passage, I think, says everything that I need to say today. I'll say some other stuff too, but this is the most important part. Okay, here we go. Exodus 33.1. Then the Lord said to Moses, I should give context. This happens immediately after the, the golden calf incident. You guys all remember that? God set him free. He takes him to Mount Sinai where Moses goes up the mountain and receives the law of God. While he's up there, the people get impatient. He was up there for about 10 days. They get super impatient, and they make this golden calf. They melt down all their jewelry, and they start worshiping the golden calf as uh, scholars think a visible representation of Yahweh, despite the fact he told them not to do that. Uh, so it's this, it's this really dark and dismal moment where they have just, God is in the, I mean, scholars compare the, um, the moment at Mount Sinai to a wedding ceremony where God is marrying his people, you know, in this covenant relationship. And it's like in the moment that the wedding is happening, they're cheating on him. That's the picture here. And this has just happened in Exodus 32. And then this is what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Mosquito Bites up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Sorry. Up to the land, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But, but... I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites you're a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and, if, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when the glory of the Lord passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock 
and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face you must not see. Crazy passage. We're not going to talk about the whole thing, but there's a really like simple, clear, game-changing idea right on the surface. <laughs> it's this. And this, you guys, um, this is the most important thing you're going to hear today. Not because I'm saying it, but because it's true. Okay? The presence of God is everything to the people of God. It's as simple as that. You guys, you saw the picture here. They have violated the covenant before the covenant, before the ink is even wet. They have broken the contract. And God is furious. He's done. But notice how determined he is to bless them. I am so angry that I can't go with you because I don't know what I might do along the way. <laughs> but I promised. And despite the fact that you have violated the terms of the covenants, I will not. He says, I'm going to send an angel with you, a messenger of mine who will clear the way ahead of you into the promised land. And I will give you everything I promise to give you. I will give you every blessing, every prosperity, every good gift that I promise to give. But I won't go with you. You know what most people, I think, in this day and age, including many Christians in many churches, would say if God said that? Great. Sounds like a plan. Every gift, like anything I ever wanted, every dream, like, like happiness and prosperity and milk and honey, whatever our version of that is, like every good, you'll give me every good thing. What crushes me is I think that that's what many people, including many people in many churches, are praying today is for the gifts of God. But here, these like idolatrous, rebellious, stubborn, stiff-necked Israelites, despite the fact that they get it wrong over and over again, here they get it right. Because they said, clearly, we would rather die in the wilderness with you than receive all the blessing of the promised land without you. That's what they said. If your presence doesn't go with us, please don't make us go. The presence of God is everything to the people of God. And what I'm asking myself on a day like today and what I'm asking this church that I love so much is, is the same true of us. Do we care about his presence? Do we prioritize his presence more than anything he could possibly do for us? More than any gift he could give? Would we say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there is nothing I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail. But you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I'd rather die in the wilderness with you than receive the blessing of the promised land without you. What's crazy about this whole thing is that God is with us, right? The Bible makes this clear. I mean, when I'm talking about all this, it's not that his presence is some 
distant, far off, unscrupulous thing that, like, like, that we have to, we can't find. We can't get to the bottom. It's inscrutable. That's the word, not unscrupulous. That's the wrong word. Don't we'll scratch the one out of the video later. Inscrutable. It's, it's not this unsearchable, mysterious thing. He's not hiding from us because God would be really good at hide and seek if he wanted to be, right? But that's not what he's doing. We see that he is a God who is known by relationship, who wants to be found. In fact, the story starts with the presence of God. As Keon reminded us two weeks ago, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. But what? The Spirit of God, the presence of God was hovering over the face of the deep. That word in Hebrew, mirahefet, means a, it means what a, what, a, what a bird does over a nest. It's hovering over the face of the deep, literally, intimately, like embracing all of creation in this moment. And as we go on through the story, we see that God continues to hold the world together in a passage we're going to talk about in a few weeks when we're back, when we're back in our Acts series. Paul, preaching to the, the Athenians, says, look, you have this altar to this unknown God. I want to tell you about him. He says, this unknown God created everything and he wants to be known by you. As a matter of fact, you think he's so distant and so unknowable, but the fact of the matter is, in him you live and move and have your being. In him, the entire world exists. He is holding the whole thing together by his presence. He is the page upon which our story is written. We have so many people saying, where is God? I say this sometimes, and it's okay to say that. The Psalms allow us to pray that way. They teach us to pray that way. It's okay to feel abandoned sometimes. It's okay to feel like you're alone. But the fact of the matter is, if you were alone, you would not exist. Because if somehow you were separated from the presence of God, this is in the book of Job, it says, if it were his intention and he withdrew his breath, all humanity would perish together and humankind would return to the dust. You see that? If, if in fact, God had forgotten you, if you were alone, you would cease to exist because he is the thing upon which your life is written. He is the glue that holds you together. He is so present. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. Listen to this. He walks everywhere incognito. Isn't that good? You walked into this space today, into this building, with its pink chairs and its yellow walls. And this place is literally graven on the hand of God. Like it holds together by his presence and his power. C.S. Lewis says, we can ignore it. But it's undeniable that God is present and that he's near. And so far I'm just talking about something that we call his general presence, you know? His everywhere sort of presence. I was outside, so I don't know if you read it again, but in the boiler room today, Mike read uh, Psalm 139. Did you read it here as well? Okay, so in the boiler, Psalm 139, this great psalm you all know, you know? You have searched me and you know me. You know when I rise up and when I lie down. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You know, if I, if I flee to the farthest reaches of the sea, there, you know, this whole idea of the presence of God. And a lot of that's just about the general presence. It's like, if I run over there, you're there, because if you weren't there, there wouldn't exist. <laughs> you know, it's this kind of big sense that God is everywhere. 
But it gets more specific than that, doesn't it? The Bible doesn't just reveal this sort of abstract force of a God who is generally present everywhere. It reveals a personal God who is specifically present with his people. It says in the very beginning of the story that he created Adam and he breathed life into him. And then he walked with him. With him and Eve, they walked together in the garden. That's the framing paradigm as a God who walks with his people. You know, we, we have this story. I was just talking to my students at Vanguard about this the other day. This story about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's this great story of redemption where God adopts a family. It's, it's powerful and beautiful. He adopts this family and says, it's going to be through you that I bring restoration and blessing to the whole world. But in the middle of that story, as this story is just kicking off, the story through which Jesus will come into the world, there's this moment where there's a conflict in the family between Abraham's wife, Sarah, and her slave girl, Hagar, who she given to her husband to have a baby with. It's a whole convoluted, dysfunctional family story, right? And Sarah's mad and sends Hagar, a Canaanite slave, so a, a, a foreign slave girl, into the wilderness while she's pregnant, sends her off to die. And God stops for a moment the whole story of redemption, the whole story of the Bible that's beginning to pick up steam. He stops the whole story to meet with this pregnant slave girl, Hagar, in the wilderness. She's no one. She's not significant to the story from this point onward. But God stops the story and meets with her. He saves her. He speaks to her. He blesses her. And she's so moved by the encounter that she names the place where she sat. It's this this well, this cistern. She names it the well of the living one who sees me. How powerful is that name? The living one who sees me. He's a God of relationship. He goes on in the story to reveal himself to a guy named Moses. That we meet here and it says Moses talked to him face to face. As one does to a friend. That's right there in the Old Testament. Everybody says the Old Testament God is so angry. Did you see what I just read? He talked to him face to face like a friend. When he's asked who he is, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He identifies himself with their names. God of relationship. Of course, then, God shows up in the story himself. I'm fast-forwarding over a lot of really good stuff. But Jesus shows up, and in the most intimate of ways, invites us into that level of relationship with God as well. Listen to what... Paul says in 2 Corinthians about the specific presence of God. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, listen to this, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you realize what Paul is saying here? He's saying, through Christ... You have an experience of God. You have access to an experience of God that is greater than that of Moses. I want to be clear on this. 
Because so often, we read these stories and we say, man, I wish. I wish I had been there when the fire fell on Sinai. I wish I had been there when the Red Sea parted. I wish I had been there. On and on we go. And do you know what Moses is sitting in heaven saying? Man, I wish I was at Canopy this morning. You think I'm kidding. Man, I wish I knew Jesus like that in my time on earth. I would have lived so differently. Man, I wish I had experienced the Spirit of God. I wish I could take communion. Do you know that? That we look and we think we have a shadow of what Moses had, but Moses is looking back through history and saying, I had a shadow of what you have. The Holy of Holies that he couldn't even walk into. Guys, you walked into it today. In this place. Do you see? He's saying we contemplate face to face the glory of God. Passage I read, God said, look, I'm going to put you in the, in the cleft of the rock because you can't look at me. You'll see my back. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we stand before him with unveiled faces contemplating his glory. Jesus ups the stakes a lot. John 14, if you love me, keep my commands. I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, because uh, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I myself will come to you. Jesus takes this language to a whole new level. And he says, what's happening here when you are in me, when you have identified yourself with my life and my death and resurrection, when you have bowed your knee to me as king and you live to the best of your ability, not perfectly, but to the best of your ability, a life of obedience, I fill you with my spirit. And that spirit is the spirit of adoption. Which I've talked about at length before. If you want to read it, it's in a book that Todd and I got to write together. Buy it if you want to. Come get a copy from me. I don't, the, the point is this. Adoption here means something really moving. It means you are chosen by God. You are bought at a high price. He has changed your name and your destiny. And he will never change his mind about you. So when Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I will come to you by my spirit. That's what he's saying. You are mine Everything you, I have is yours, and I will never change. Paul, of course, says it like this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you've received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit has brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, that we might also share in his glory. You guys hear this? It's not just that God is generally present to us. It's not just that when we walk into this space, he's here because he's everywhere. It's that he's specifically present to you as a father. 
who has chosen you, who has paid a high price for you, who has given you and offers you everything that comes in his presence and will never change his mind about you. He is so present and so intimate and so near. And what's been just like crushing me over the last couple weeks is how I miss that. Like how I can just walk into spaces, walk into a day completely unaware. Look, if everything I just said is true, because I don't, I know you get it, but I, I just want you to get it. I want to get it. You know that like in the heavenlies right now, <laughs> that like there are creatures that were we to see them, we would, we, they would blow our minds and their minds are being blown by the risen Jesus right now. You guys know that, right? There are these things that are called seraphim, and word, the, the name in Hebrew literally means burning ones. And they're burning because they're alight with his presence. And it never gets old for him. And they sing these songs because they're constantly blown away. The book of Revelation is confusing, but it talks about this, this one who sits on the throne who is so beautiful. And so glorious and so compelling. And just during worship, I just got this picture. Not that the one who sits on the throne was coming down to us, but that he was inviting us to sit on the throne. Like, like the throne was like, a, like your dad's recliner. Do, do you get how like crazy that is? Do you get like how, how scandalized the seraphim must be when this walks right past them? And sits on the throne, like sits on the lap of the one on the throne. Do you, do you understand? That's what we're talking about here. Like, <laughs> do we get that? That's what's available. Why would we ever settle for anything less than the presence of God? Tim Keller says, to stand in the presence of God, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is not primarily about forgiveness. It's not primarily about good feelings. It's not primarily about power. All these things are byproducts. They're sparks. It's primarily about the presence of God. I love that picture. Of this like raging bonfire. The Holy Spirit is this burning fire at the center of our, of our lives. And these sparks flying off. It's like there goes a gift. There goes the power. There goes the joy, the hope, these embers that kind of pop out. But like, guys, you don't just have to settle for the ember. You don't have to just go chasing like, oh, my goodness, there's a little bit of joy over there. I'm going to grab onto it. Or there's a sign or a wonder. I'm going to grab. No, 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 no. You guys don't understand. You can get as close to the bonfire as you want to. I love that picture. The presence of God is the gospel. Great theologian R.C. Sproul says it like this. He says, the real crisis of worship today is not that the preaching is paltry, though sometimes it is, or that it's too drafty in the church. It's that people have no sense of the presence of God. And if they have no sense of his presence, how can they be moved to express the deepest feelings of their souls, to honor, revere, worship, and glorify him? Simple idea. God is here. 
the question I am wrestling with for me and for us is are we? Am I present in his presence? At the end of the day, that's all that matters, my friends. All that matters. Am I with him? I feel like the picture I got that I was prepping for today was out of the Old Testament. That was out of Second Kings 6, where this prophet Elisha gets himself into trouble because he's speaking the word of God, and that tends to get you in trouble. And um, this army comes to attack him, and they completely surround his house. And he's got this little servant boy who, like, does chores around the house because Elisha's getting old. And the servant boy goes out to draw water, and he looks up, and he sees that their entire, like, the valley around their house is completely surrounded with these chariots and this army. Like, and he's just terrible. I imagine drops the water, runs inside, tells Elisha, like, we're about to die. Like, this thing is over. And the prophet just bows his head, and he prays a simple prayer. He says, God, help him to see that greater is he who's with us than he who's with them. And then he says, go out and look again. And he goes out and he looks again and he sees that the entire hillside is covered with the army of the Lord. That they are literally surrounded in the presence of God. And that no harm could possibly come to them. And without raising a sword, the battle's won. And I just had that picture for us and I just have been praying that prayer over myself in this community for weeks now. Like God help us to see. Help us to see. That quote that I read of C.S. Lewis at the beginning, we may ignore him, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is always crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. There's more to it. And he said, and the incognito is not always hard to penetrate. The real labor is to remember, to attend, in fact, to come awake, still more to remain awake. Friends, the vision for this church, as we want to live in the freedom that Jesus gives us is to be awake to the presence of God in this place and in every place. So that's what we want to do right now. And I want to make this commitment moving forward. I never want to gather in this church in any context, whether it's in this building for a Sunday morning or to seek first or, or in a table or just across the table one-on-one. -on -one. I never want to gather as part of this community without waiting on the presence of the Lord. You can hold me to that, okay? And so let's do that now. Worship band, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you just to stay where you're, where you're at right now. We may get to some more songs. We may not. I'm sorry if we don't. I know you guys rehearsed and you're amazing and we'll have the time for them. But like, I, don't, I want you to be a part of this too. So um, this might feel weird. If you're new to Canopy, like, it's okay. I don't mind being a bit weird. Because if all of this is true and the Holy Spirit's here, then let's be attentive. Let's just sit quietly in his presence and see what he might want to do, okay? Whatever posture you need to assume, if that's kneeling, if that's standing, if that's sitting where you're at, just be present to the one who is present to us. If in this moment you find something getting in the way, a distraction, a sin, um, just really simply 
Just offer it to Jesus. Don't let anything get in the way. Um, You can just stay where you're at, but as we're praying, I just get a picture of the prayers that are being lifted up in this room, cracking open the heavens and the glory of God coming down. And so I just want to invite you right now, and this is only going to work if everyone does it, just to pray out loud. Lift up your prayers, lift up your praises to God. You could stay where you're at, you could stay on your knees, you can stay seated, but I just want to invite the spirit, as Romans 8 says, with groanings too deep for words to just pray out in us. And I just feel like the Lord is going to do something big in this room. So I just invite you right now, just begin to pray out your prayers of thanksgiving, of longing, 
pray out loud right now so everyone can hear, so that the enemy can hear, so that the heavens can hear. We pray right now, Jesus, in this room, we just lift up our praises. If you're scared to open your mouth, I just want you to take courage. Take courage and know that the Lord your God is with you. Take courage and pray the prayers that you've been afraid to pray. Take courage and take a step you've been afraid to take. The Spirit of the Lord wants to give his gifts right now to his kids. He wants to give prayer language to his kids right now. So just begin to pray out. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you. Just lift up your prayers as a battle cry against what the enemy wants to do right now. Just lift up your prayers in this room out loud. Continue to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in this space. God, would you break through walls? Would you pour your spirit out on us? Holy Spirit, come. I just want to pray against um, apathy right now. Just continue to pray. I want you just to encourage our our church right now to just step into a space of fighting in prayer, fighting in intercession. So if you're getting tired, if you don't know what to pray, just continue to pray and fight for what the Spirit's up to in this space. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you. Fall on this place right now. Lord Jesus, pour your Spirit out. Holy Spirit, come. Heal. Break through, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We thank you for what you're doing. Would your heaven come down? Would it be on earth as it is in heaven? Would it be Church as it is in heaven, Lord Jesus, bring your healing. I just want to encourage you to continue to pray. If you feel like you're running out of words, just continue to pray. Lift up a hallelujah to God. Lift up a thank you to God. Just repeat. Just say, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you for my breath. Thank you for my life. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come in this place. We offer our lives up to you. Holy Spirit, come. I feel like you might be inviting a couple of us to get on our knees. Maybe you're comfortable sitting, but to step into something that's uncomfortable for you. Fall in this place. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just let his presence fall on you. Just let his presence come. He's working in this place. He's healing in this place. He's moving right now. Holy Spirit, come. To pray continue to pray out. Fight against apathy. We want to push through that. Fight against apathy. The Holy Spirit wants to give a gift of intercession. God, but you, Jesus. Just cast down idols that we build. We ask for forgiveness. God, we repent of the ways that we have changed, have followed things that aren't you, the ways that we have bowed down the things that aren't you. Holy Spirit, come and transform in our midst. Continue to pray out. Continue to pray out. God, we, we don't want to turn away from you. We don't want to go where you're not going. Lord, we want to follow you as a church. We don't want to go where you're not going. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and guide us and move us. Yes, just continue to pray out your prayers. Everything is yours, God, in this place. Lord Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, move. Change our hearts. Transform our hearts. Just continue to pray out. Just continue to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. 
God, I repent of the ways that I've made other things above you. Things that I've put on a throne that aren't you. Would you be on the throne, Lord Jesus? Everything is yours in this space. Everything is yours in my heart. Everything is yours in my life. Everything, God.